Welcome to the Momentum Podcast. Our hope is to fill you with the light and life that are found in Jesus so you can shine in the world around you. A great next step if you'd like to grow in your faith is connecting to a community. We would love to help you connect at Momentum. For more information, visit MomentumSanDiego.com. Again, that's MomentumSanDiego.com. We hope you enjoy the message. All right. Hey, before we do anything else, I just need you guys to help me celebrate some really cool things that are happening literally in real time right here, right now. Number one, this band, this, the average age of three people right here was like 19 and a half, I think. And that is a gifted group of young people who lead us every week. Can you give them a shout out and just say, we love you and we're grateful for you a little more. And, uh, and then here's the cool thing. Um, when, we, when you see somebody jump up and they do the, the welcome, the communion and all that stuff, uh, we only have one other pastor than myself here uh, that could do that. And, and he's usually engaged in something over there in Kid City. So that's volunteers. And, and that's my friend Andrew Feaster. And that was his first time ever doing that. And that was incredible. So, uh, dude, thank you for stepping up. And uh, I'm just saying, this is an open invite. There are so many ways that we can deploy you in ministry in this church to make an impact in the world around us. And so you got a bubble for that on your card. You could fill that out if you want to get in the game. Uh, we got spots for you. Okay, now if you're new or visiting, I can explain. This is Love, Sex, Phones, and Jesus week four. Now, a quick backstory on this series. Around Easter time, we did the survey of the church, and, uh, and we said, hey, what's going on in your life? Where do you need help? What's going on? What do you want us to preach on? And there was going to be this thing where we did three different messages on completely different topics, but then the response that we got in this community was, we need help making marriage work. We need help making relationships work. How the heck do I do dating life in a world like the one we're living in? How do you do sex within marriage, right? How do you make all of this stuff work? And so there was so much we got back from that that it wasn't going to all fit in one message. So we're in this series. Uh, We've been chopping up love, sex, phones, and Jesus. Um, As we are doing that, please help me in this series. So there's this week and one more week with normal preaching, teaching, like we're doing right now. And then the last week of this series is a Q&A where we want you to engage by filling out one of these cards. Any questions you have on this topic, anything you heard that you're like, I need to know more of that, or anything you heard that you need me to say when you bring your kid into the room so I can say it and for you, I will gladly do so. And so these cards, my wife is gonna be doing the Q&A with me. She writes all my sermons anyways. And so I'm telling you, uh, two weeks from now, please help us. Write something down on this card you want us to dive into to make that week special. Um, and we're going to roll. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then we're just diving right back in because there's no easy way to do this. Let's pray together. God and Father, um, would you show up by the power of your Holy Spirit and in this place feed our souls with your word. Not cute ideas, not clever, but like your spirit bringing life to us. God, um, we need you. We're, we're hungry for what you have to say. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can catch you up in just one quick sentence if you go to my slide here, Dovey. Um, this is the idea behind the whole series. When you recover or discover a well-developed, 
unashamed, authentic view of biblical sex and sexuality, here's what you find. You find answers for some of your deepest longings, substance that helps you live well and flourish in a culture that is soaked in sex and sexuality, and the sex life you've always longed for. Now, what we're diving into today is sex and single life. So we kind of did an overview, then we did married life, and now we're going to do single life. And I believe this still holds true. I believe this still stands up. And I'm telling you, no matter where you're at, there's something in this for you. Let me define single life really quickly. Um, some of you are like, oh, whew, not single anymore because I've had this girlfriend for three months. No, you still count as a single person. Um, if you are about to be dating, if you are dating, if you're with somebody, if you're engaged with somebody, if you're on the market, if, you, uh, if you're a divorcee and, and you had something, you know, a relationship, but it didn't work out the way you wanted and now you're kind of figuring out what love and romance and life is going to look like for you. Um, all of that is this, this slice that we would call single life, 20-somethings, that sort of thing in there as well. Um, on the market, dating at any capacity, now that we've drawn a big circle around all that, let me tell you something. Um, if you're a parent and you're here with your kid, you get the elbow privileges today. If you hear me say something and your kid needs to know it, you just give them one of those shivers underneath there in the ribs, and you can just amen me like that this morning. And, and I'm going to tell you, sorry, uh, the last like preamble part of this thing is simply this. Um, when, when I go to preach, this is heart to heart for those of you who are in this stage of life. When I go to preach, the first thing is always, well, what does God's word have to say about this particular issue or thing? And then right after that, I begin to think about you guys and the lives you live and what's going on and what I see in prayer requests and, you know, what I know about your age and stage. And then I move from there and praying for you guys to books and, well, what else is being said in this topic about this thing? What else is being said in culture about this? And I read as much as I can. And then hopefully God does something with all that and that would turn into a message by Sunday because those Sundays, they always keep coming. And, um, and I'll tell you what, as I dove into this particular subject matter, sex, love, dating, single life, how to do it right, um, I am filled with compassion and I am filled with admiration for those of you who are doing this season right. Um, I'm filled with compassion because <laughs> the world is crazy right now. Like, I'm filled with compassion because the dating thing is changing so quickly. Like, I'm pretty sure you guys aren't even sure how to keep up with it. And before you know it, there's this new app. And you're like, don't get this app because this is the app where people do that sort of thing. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I was just trying to find somebody to go to the library with and do Bible study. And, 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 and then there's so much going on. And then there's pressure. There's pressure to find someone. And some of you guys are going to go to Thanksgiving. And you don't bring a girl or a guy back with you. And you've got that auntie. And she's going to be like, so when are you going to bring someone back with you? And you're like, I don't know. I'm working on it. There's pressure. It's changing. The culture's done. I mean, you can literally go out in culture and do whatever you want and nobody's going to judge you for it. And there's just so much there, you guys. And I got compassion for that. And I want to tell you, like, can I just tell you heart to heart, I have so much admiration for you guys who are doing this well. Like, if there's, if there's a part of you that's just resolved in your heart, like, I don't know how this all works, and I really want to find someone once one day, but, like, I'm going to put God first. Oh, my gosh, I admire that. Or if there's a part of you, and you're looking at the pop dating scene, and what's going on out there, and you're watching lives just 
burned to the ground. And there's this part of your heart, you're like, I want somebody, but I'm not willing to jump into that fire because I see how that keeps ending up for people. So I'm gonna just cling to this for a while, even though I'm unsure how it's gonna work out one day. Um, I got admiration for that. If you're a divorcee and maybe things didn't go the way that you thought they would all go, and now you're here and you're trying to do life and like a part of you misses that someone, but you're not ready to just jump back out there like your other girlfriends told you to do, but you're gonna hold on to this and you're gonna trust God for life because he's brought you this far. Can I just tell you, I've got so much respect for each and every one of you because here's the other thing. The world is just crammed with bad information. Like if you wanted, if you wanted to look around and you just Google dating advice, you're gonna get BuzzFeed. Like, if it ever comes down to BuzzFeed, like, just don't. Like, just, like, never know. Like, you don't need a list of 12 seductive whatever. Like, it's just bad advice. And then, you know, single people come to the church, and you're like, oh, great, another married series. Like, that'll be great one day. And, and the church is having so little to say. Can I tell you something? You guys, you have my respect, man. You just, as your pastor, you've got my respect for doing this right. And I'll tell you, my, my goal, like if I could have anything, like my prayers, I want to be a blessing to you by giving you something you can hang on to in a world that has so little truth out there to build a life on. Um, this is challenging though, because the dating scene, like we know it, it didn't exist in Jesus's time. Matter of fact, dating as we know it, like this, she goes out with him and like they meet and they dinner and this thing. That didn't even exist until around 1920. Up until that point, it was two families would get together and it was really about exchanging resources and, well, you've had this and we got that and, well, we could join these families and we could have this and that together and then, you know, our offspring will do well and live with one another and it was decided in community with families that usually had some sort of faith foundation and it wasn't until the 20s that that she would leave her family he would leave his and then together in isolation they're supposed to figure out if there's chemistry and a fit so here's what you have to do anytime we have something today like next week for example when we're talking about foreign phones pornography the internet dating apps and all this stuff. Anytime you see something in our world that wasn't addressed by Jesus in scripture, what you have to do is go, well, what did he say? What is close to this? What do I know about God? What do I know to be true? What is the rest of scripture saying? And then you allow the rest of scripture to give you a theology a theology or a God thought about the issue at hand. And so we're going to be doing that this week. We're going to be doing that week, that um, next week. Um, but if you follow along and you like to write the notes in your bulletin, go ahead and take a second, grab your bulletin, grab your pen, and we'll dive into developing what we can actually build on in this topic. And number one is going to be this simply. Um, there is nothing wrong with you if you are single. Can I just cut through all the junk for a minute. Can I cut through the horrible Hollywood narrative of like this girl was just a mess and that guy, he was adrift. And then finally, after 90 minutes of movie, they found another, each other and it all worked out. Can I just cut through that as a terrible narrative for just a second? Can I just cut through one of the worst lines in any movie ever was from Jerry Maguire and that one chick, the you complete me. 
okay? It's just no, that is not it. Can I cut through? Can I cut through, you know, the, the auntie who's going to tell you, you need to find someone. I'm telling you, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Maybe if you did your makeup, everyone. No, let me cut through that for a second. Let me cut through maybe the voice that's in you going, ah, is there something wrong with me? Like, everybody's kind of found someone and I'm getting, no, no, let me cut through all that and begin right here. There's nothing wrong with you if you are single. As a matter of fact, Jesus even affirmed single life. As a matter of fact, Jesus would argue that there's an opportunity here. And we have one little Jesus passage where he speaks to this. And I want to unpack it with you today. Jesus is in this big conversation about marriage with the disciples and divorce and how serious God takes marriage and all the things that God says about it. And they finish this conversation. And the disciples said to Jim, that's Jesus, if this is a situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. And Jesus goes, yeah, not everyone can accept this word, but only those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs, go to the next one, who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. If you don't know what that is, uh, ask your parents or small group leader. Check this out, though. And then there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. What is Jesus saying? There are people who have not been in the dating game. They're not out there playing the field. They're not moving from one quest to try and find love to another. They're not out there playing the typical cultural narrative of you got to find somebody. And oh, this one didn't work out. Let me fire up the app. Let me get back out on the market. He's saying, hey, hey, there are people not doing that. And there are real benefits to not doing that. And if you can accept it, you should accept it. Now, now sit on that for a minute. Because what do people in our culture typically do with single life? You want to get past it as quick as you can. You're like, I need this season to end. I am looking for love. I don't want to go to, I don't want to be at the thing and all my friends are dead in and all this stuff. People try and rush it. People try and rush into the relationship. People try and just jump over this season and go, maybe if I can just make things work with this girl from senior year who I know we don't really fit and she drives me crazy, but it's better than the alternative. People do all kinds of things to kind of wiggle out of the single thing. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 time out. Here's what you should do with it. You should accept it. Why? Because there are real benefits and blessings in the kingdom of God that you can only experience in the single stage of your life. Jesus is saying, uh, you're single right now. You got this time on your hands. You have things going on. There are real blessings that God has for you and to pour into the world through you. And, and he cannot do that unless you're willing to pause for a minute and accept where you find yourself in this season of life. Let me explain it. Let me just start here. Um, there is this, um, this trilemma, if you will, the time, resources, energy trilemma. Everybody has a certain amount of time. Everybody has a certain amount of resources. Everybody has a certain amount of energy. But the trilemma, if you could go to the next one for me, is simply this. When you're young, you have time and energy, but, but not a lot of resources. When you're middle-aged, you have resources and energy, but there's so much going on in so many places and so many people to care for. You, you have the resources and the energy, but not the time. When you're older, you have time and resources 
but, but you begin to lack the energy. But can I tell you something? There's a glitch in this matrix. There's a special slot right in here. In your single life, where you have the highest aggregate score of time, energy, and resources that you probably ever will. How do I know this? Well, why is it every time I look at your Instagram, you're at another concert? I can't go to concerts. I'd like to. I'll tell you too. I don't have time. I don't have the resources. Okay, I just identified where I'm at on the thing. But y'all can. And you have this special season. And, and what Jesus is saying is what would it be like if you took this special season and you said, you know what, God, I'm going to offer this to you. And I'm going to offer it to you to use. And I'm not going to rush through it. I'm going to receive what you want to do in me. And I'm going to offer my life to you. And I'm going to say, God, this is for you. I want you to take it and use it. What would happen? So here you go. Three quick things. You can and should be doing in this special window of time. Number one, develop an identity that is rooted in Christ. You develop an identity that is rooted in Christ. What do I mean by that? I mean, you come to understand in this season of life who you are, who you are not, and most importantly, who Jesus says you are. Who you are. Okay, this is what I'm passionate about. This is what I stand for. This is what I'm into. This is what I care about. This is what's been shaped in me. Ephesians 2.10, you are a masterpiece shaped by God to do good works. This is when you're figuring out what has been shaped in you. But you also need to be figuring out who you're not. It is important, shaping identity. We talk a lot about your gifts and your thing and take the test and the aptitude and your Enneagram and the other test and the Myers-Briggs and the whoever and figure out all that you've been given. But here's just as important. You've got to figure out who you're not. You've got to figure out some things that have been handed to you that you don't need to pick up and run with into the season ahead. You need to look back at some role models and go, you know what, I really thought that guy, that coach I had was the man and he was so cool and he was so funny. And then I'm a little bit older now and I realize his family life is a wreck and I would never actually want to live like that. You got to put down some things that have just been handed to you. And then most importantly, you've got to come to know who God says you are. Not know, like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that, Ephesians. No, like, know in your soul. I would argue this should be a prerequisite for dating. Here's why. I heard a comedian say this one time. He said, dating is trying to convince someone you're more good-looking than you actually are, more interesting than you actually are, and that you have more money than you actually do. And I don't know if that's like dating life for you, and that's kind of an exaggeration. But you know what he's talking about, though? If you're constantly, if you just jump from like high school to dating life and here I am and I'm out here and I don't know. Or if you just come out of that bad relationship and it didn't work out and you just kind of hop right back into it. And you haven't established who you are. You jump right into this dating mode where you're forced to pretend like you're something you're not. Or more than you are. And you're out here and you're trying to keep up appearances and trying to make it look all right. Trying to make it work all right. And I got to be cute and funny and witty and handsome and tall and all the different things that she needs you to be. And she, you got to be laugh and not eat your food and all that. I don't know whatever the thing is. Um, but if you're just in that mode, you never have time to establish like who God has made you to be. And that's a real problem. Because when two people get into a relationship... Or when you get in, let's just take you. When you get into a relationship with somebody and you haven't figured out who you are, who you're not, who Jesus says you are, 
Well, as he pursues your heart over time and he refuses to relent and you finally do become who he's calling you to be, you're in this relationship and you were one thing when the relationship started, you becoming another thing now and you're going to go, you changed. And you're, they're going to look at you and go, hey, you've changed. You used to be all that, you were all these things. And you're going, no, you changed because I'm over here now and you're still back there and, and I'm evolving. And here's what's really happening. You are transforming into who Jesus made you to be, which is exactly what you need to be. But if all that transformation happens after the relationship, it just creates distance. But when you find two people and they've offered their lives to God and been transformed by him and they're in a relationship and they continue to transform together, something amazing happens. Secondly, the transformative work of Jesus in you is the most important thing that's going to happen in your life. And the last thing you need to do is jump into a relationship when, when, when all this stuff is happening and when you feel God calling you this way, but you have all these feelings and emotions and, and, and physiology pulling you back this way when God's been calling you to transform. But you have to know who you are, whose you are, and who you're not. How do you do that? Well, you need the right truth. This isn't in your note sheet. You need the right truth, the right relationships, and the right experiences. You need the right truth. That is time getting to know God's word. You have to come to know his word. This is literally the only thing that is true. It's just it. You have to let this define who you are. I'm not talking like my sermon once a week and okay, all right, see you. I'm saying, if you don't have a Bible, let me help you find a Bible. If you don't know how to study the Bible, let us help you learn. Let us help you dive into the word as far as you can grow. You know, we're a multi-generational church. We've been preaching on that lately. We have, we have um, uh, 12-year-olds who sit in these worship services and love it here, and 72-year-olds who sit in these worship services and love it here. Grab one of the older people and be like, I need help understanding this. Can you help me? You need the right relationships. Have to have to have to have the right people around you. You need the right experiences. And here's what I mean. If you're single life, you need to get out there and see as much of the world as you possibly can in Jesus' name. If it's a mission trip, get out there and do the mission work. If it's a house build, go and build a house. If it's a group of friends and you get in your car and you're just like, I've never seen Seattle before, go. And let it expand your mind and let it shape a vision for what God wants to do in your life. I'll tell you something. I dated, I had um, one big relationship before Britt, who I'm now married to. Uh, started dating senior year of high school, broke up sophomore year of college, bad breakup. I was playing that Nelly song, because I'm all in my head. You know, and uh, I was working at the grounds crew and I backed a trailer into somebody's car because I was thinking about the thing. And um, it was the best, it became the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, I met a next door neighbor in my dorm room named Tony Collins who became one of my best friends. We had two other guys. Um, we started a college small group together and I got to know the word. I had the great people and we saw the world together. And those three things God used to shape and establish all the identity in me that I'm still standing on to this day. So you, you get a vision, get an identity rooted in Christ too. Develop your vision for a kingdom contribution. Let's talk about that. 
Develop a vision for kingdom contribution. All right, young people, did you know this verse exists? First um, Peter 2.9. But you, that's you who have said yes to Jesus, but all y'all Jesus followers, as, as it would be actually translated, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that what? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now think on this verse. Give this one a second, okay? What he's saying here is when you got saved, okay, you didn't just buy fire insurance so you don't have to go to hell one day. The second you say yes to Jesus, you are saying yes to all kinds of calling and destiny and purpose. It's all over the New Testament. Saying yes to Jesus is not like, well, I'm just going to be as good as I can. No. Saying yes to Jesus is, yes, he saved you. Yes, he redeemed you. Now you offer your life back to him because there's a work on earth he's called you to do. There's darkness, and it's your job to bring light to that darkness. Your single life is a time when you discover just what that light is and how you intend to shine it in the world around you. Getting saved is like getting handed a torch. And going, God, where do they need light the most? And then you walk there by his power. This is the time in your life to discover what that light is for you and how God has shaped you and called you to shine it. I'll borrow from Socrates, but I love this quote. And he says, an unexamined life is not worth living. And he's absolutely right. Because a very common narrative for my generation was simply this. Okay, high school, I got to do as good as I can. I got to be there on time. I can't have any unexcused absences. I got to do a good job on this SAT thing. I got to get good grades and join the right club so the college resume looks good. Then you got the college resume. Then you fly into college, and then you're figuring out what you want to do, and somehow you're supposed to know by the time you're 22 years old, but you don't want to get left behind, so you do as good as you can on your classes. You hop out of college into some sort of internship. You get the internship, and you land in a job, and you hate it because you never stop somewhere along the way to go, is this actually what I'm supposed to do? Is this me or not me? And it happens all the time because people refuse just to take that extra breath and go, God, line me up. Where do you want me? I'll give you three questions and, and um, they're on your notes so you don't even have to write them down. I'm telling you, if you're single, I, shoot, this is good no matter where you are. This, I, I'm, I'm praying that God would send somebody in their 50s just into a crisis and oh my gosh, I got to change my job. Um, here you go. Here's what, you, here's what you ask. When I think about the last 10 years of my life, what does it look like God has been shaping me to do? Who has he put around you? What passions are in you? What problems do you see in the world that you're called to do something about? What's, what's in your hands? What are you good at? What is that thing that comes easy to you that you see everybody else having to work so hard at? What has God spent his time shaping you to do? What he has done in you is usually what he's calling you to then two, it's simply this. How can I do what God has shaped in me in a profitable and passionate way? How can I do what God has shaped in me in a pa profitable and passionate way? Can I tell you something? There's this weird, church, this weird church tradition where the second you start to think about money in your future, you're unspiritual. And that is not in Scripture. Flip through Proverbs for a second. It has a whole lot to say about money and savings and planning. It's called wisdom. 
And so can I tell you, it is okay for you to look at what you've been given and then look at the marketplace and go, what could I do where I could be doing what I'm passionate about in a way that's actually going to produce profit? I'm not saying you're going to get paid six figures at your first internship. I'm saying you can develop a vision where how can I do? Because you need both. Because, because if you're all passion and no profit, you got a hobby. That's why my children will not be doing underwater basket weaving degrees when they get to college. No, we're going to figure this out. But if you're all profit and no passion, your soul does. So you need both. You look at the market and you go, where, where do these two cross? And then um, three, <clears throat> you go, what would it look like to honor God and shine his light in this vocation? How do I do that? If I'm an investment banker, how do I take that torch from God and go walking into my office every day sent there by him? If you're a law enforcement, how do you take that torch and shine in the world around you, a teacher? What does it look like to shine in the classroom? That's what it looks like. To seize your singleness for your kingdom destiny. Three, what do you do? Give yourself freely. This is back in the notes. Give yourself freely and fully to the work of God in your surroundings today. Give yourself freely and fully to the work of God in your surroundings today. Know this. You are setting a tone for the rest of life right now. I'm talking 17 to 22 probably, 17 to 25. You are setting a tone right now. After 25, you will not be more generous than you are today. You will not be more servant-hearted than you are today. You are not going to be more kingdom-seeking than you are today. This is the time to set the tone and aim at the rest of life. This is the time to give your life away. You have the freedom and the mobility and the resources. To do. Tell you what, I could bump into somebody in the courtyard today and they could go, Matt, okay, I'm so passionate about the, the water crisis in Africa. Uh, here's a $100,000 check. You guys can go and drill three wells and, and, and you can, you know, I'll pay for all the flights and first class accommodations. Just send a team over to go dig those wells. Some of you could go. I can't. I'd be running home. Babe, you're never going to guess what happened today. We're going to drill some wells, and I'll be back on uh, three weeks from now. She's like, like, heck you will. Who's going to watch these children? But some of you could go. And I'm using this as an analogy just to say that there is a special season of life where you could use this untethered, free powerful, passionate season of your life to do some good for some people. I praise God for the student leaders at this church because that community is made mostly of 20-somethings who are saying, I'm going to give my life away. And they disciple kids every Wednesday. They show up at their games. And while we're on that note, can, we just, can I just remind you guys, do not overlook how powerful it is when you show up personally for these young people. Oh my gosh. Like we got social media and likes and pages and followers and all that stuff. You could have a million followers tomorrow and post whatever you wanted to say about God and it will not make the impact that you make when you show up personally for a young person. 
You, you're a girl, you, you, you just, you're doing your thing with your girls and you invite a middle school girl over just to watch the movie with you guys. She will move heaven and earth to be in that living room. You go to some young man's lacrosse game and you could rewrite his future because there's a power there. And the question is, what are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? You give yourself to the work today. Now, let's talk about sex. See how I saved it to the end so you had to listen to all that purpose stuff at first and then we'll talk. Um, well, here's the, you can't talk sex in single life and let's just bring, we all know what the question is, right? Why not hook up? Whole world's doing it. There's apps built around it. It's easier than ever. There's less judgment than ever. So why stay pure? Why not have sex? Why wait till you're married? Why not join hookup culture? I'll do my best to give you some good answers. Number one is simply this. Marriage is the only relationship that is designed to handle the intense power of sex. Marriage is the only relationship designed to handle the intense power of sex. We've been saying, come on, go back to the beginning. Go to those, uh, those words that I have next. Um, if you could go to the next slide really quick. There's our original definition of sex from week one in this series. Genesis 2.24, it talks about these two being joined and becoming one flesh. If you were reading the Hebrew. And it is reminding us, and this is week one review, that you are not just a body. Sex is not simply a physical act. It is a spiritual act, an emotional act that ties the deepest parts of your soul to the soul of another individual. We could pause right there and go, if that's true, like if God gave you an actual soul and sex is an act that binds your soul with another's soul, that should at least make you walk a little more carefully. But then secondly, if God designed this, who is the best one to tell us how it is most appropriately used? God. And God designed marriage as the only relationship where sex is actually safe. Not safe sex like the pop culture term. But I mean, it is the only relationship capable of withholding the power that is there. One of my favorite writers said it like this. Something powerful happens in sex. Two humans become a cod. They know each other. And this action cannot be undone. It is irreversible. And to God, the only relationship strong enough to hold that kind of untamed fierce power is marriage. That's the only container that can handle the nuclear force that we call sex. I can explain it like this. I was making dinner for Britt one night. She's a labor and delivery, that's my wife, she's a labor and delivery nurse. She works, uh, you know, she gets home around 7.30 or whatever. Every now and then, I've got it in me to make some, I love to cook, I actually just love to eat. And so, um, every now and then, I, uh, every now and then I try and make like something really good and she comes home and it's all there and she's like, oh, you're the best. I'm like, yeah, I know. And, uh, <laughs> and so I had some lamb. Trader Joe's had a special, I had those little lamb thing with the legs coming out of this thing. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna make lamb and it's gonna have vegetables and be roasted with sauce and some dinner bread. You dip it in the olive oil, praise Jesus. And um, I'm getting hungry. And so... 
I roast the lamb in a pan very much like this one, and, and it just comes out perfect. I mean, I got the meat thermometer in there. This is perfect lamb, and it comes out. And I'm, getting, I'm feeling myself. I'm just in there, and everything's going right. And so I set the lamb down on the counter, and I'm looking in there at the drippings that came out of the lamb. And, and you know you can't waste good drippings. And I'm like, I'm going to make a sauce. And so I'm going to blend down some berries. I'm going to make an emulsification. And then I'm going to use the drippings from this. I'll deglaze this pan real quick, and everything's going to be great. Now, deglaze, if you don't cook, means there's all this good stuff in here. And if you pour some liquid in it, whoosh, comes off the edges, you can use it in your sauce, it tastes delicious. Now, I overlooked something. So I set down this hot pan and I go looking for my chicken broth and I realize the only one I have is in the refrigerator. So I go walking back, some of y'all are ahead of me. I go walking back to the hot pan with the cold chicken broth. I'm smiling ear to ear, I pour it and no sooner does the first drop hit the hot pan, the pan explodes into a million pieces. I'm not kidding. Just crack. It scares me. I fly in the air, throw the chicken. I don't know what has happened in this. Though everybody who's smirking at me, you had this happen to you too one time. Um, and, and, and it just blows. I land on the glass. I, I didn't bring the picture because I didn't want to gross you out. I land on the glass, cut my foot open instantly, and it just starts leaking out on the, I didn't plan on telling this part, but here we are. Um, it starts leaking out on the floor just like that time you see it growing. On your, I'm like, oh, no. The kids heard the noise. They come down and see Dad sitting among shattered glass bleeding. They go into a panic, and guess who walks in the door at that moment? I remember, I'm okay, everything's okay. And um, you know what I overlooked though is that pan was not made to contain those ingredients in those capacities. That's sex, love, and dating. Your dating life, your single life, or the casual relation, relational life is not designed by God to handle the explosive power of sex. And, and think about it, right? We know this. Because some of you young people, like, you have those two friends in a relationship, and everyone agrees unilaterally that these two people should break up. Like, you guys have had meetings. You, you talk to her friends. They all came and talked to you. And you're like, I don't like them together. We don't like them together. You're getting ready to do an intervention. Why are they still together? Because they had sex and their souls are tangled and it's not easy for that to come undone I had a friend not too long ago that I work out with you know talking about his relationship and I, he's like we almost moved in together and this is a guy who's um, not with God yet because we almost moved in together but I'm like man if we have sex it could just all get complicated I'm like he doesn't even know Jesus but he's talking about Jesus' truth right now he just said that himself, that in that context, sex would ruin the relationship rather than enhance it. Now, last time I checked, I not met one married person who was like, yeah, we're just having too much sex lately, so there's a lot of friction in the relationship, and we're not getting along. Why? Because sex is in the right container, and in that relationship, it's a blessing and not a curse. That's why you wait to have sex. That's why God says you wait until you're married. Here's the second one. Practicing sexual purity develops power for marital fidelity. 
Let's take that phrase apart for a second. When you choose to live pure, not having sex, you are developing the muscles of faithfulness that you will need one day when you are married. This is especially like young couple and you're dating. And this is like the, like, the argument for like, come on, we're, we know we're going to one day, so why not have sex now? I'll tell you why. Because you are either strengthening those muscles or they are in atrophy as we speak. So, so every, as you want to have sex with the person you're dating and, and, and all that stuff, every time you decide that you're not going to, you are getting more and more strong when it comes to sexual fidelity in your marriage. Here's what I mean. I mean, you're going to be married one day, and you're going to have life happen. And talk to, again, talk to some of the older married people. You're going to have life happen. And maybe she has a baby and there's a recovery and sex isn't like as much and as frequent and as intense as it used to be. And then you're in this season and you go to work and that other girl leaves her hand on your arm a little long and smiles. And in that moment, you have either been practicing fidelity or compromise. Or he's going to get busy, and he's going to be working a ton, and he's trying to make ends meet, and he feels really anxious, and he's trying to provide, and he feels the weight, and he always seems distant, and you go to the gym, and there's that other guy, and he laughs at all your stories, and it really, really feels nice to be listened to. Can I tell you something? In that moment, you've either been practicing fidelity or you've been practicing compromise. And the time to lay a foundation of faithfulness is now. Everybody goes, oh, no, when I'm married, it's so much easier and it's all good. No. You think married people in this room aren't tempted sexually in other ways? It's not magic. It's humanity. And that's why Jesus shows us the best way to be human. Third and finally, practicing sexual purity is one of the most supreme ways of displaying your trust for Jesus. Not hooking up. Not, I'll, I'll, we'll talk in phones and porn next week, but I'd say not looking at pornography. It's showing Jesus how much you actually trust him. Now, there are a few things that God can, you know, there's few things we can offer God that he can't just go out and get for himself in this world. And our trust is one of them. And I would say, what an amazing way to communicate God, to God, your trust in him. By saying, you know what, the whole world's doing it, but God, I won't because I trust you. And single people, that's what this whole thing boils down to is trust. It just is. In student ministry, I pastored this amazing young woman named Deja. And she had one of the worst childhoods I had encountered in, in all of student ministry, just abused and, and couch surfed and no one to call family and the whole thing. And by the time she had made it to her junior year, this amazing young woman had made it. Like, she wasn't off the deep end. She was socially adjusted, 
man, did she have a plan for her life and a future. I mean, it was spelled out to the grades, the school, the degree program, the track, the internship, the future, the way, the timeline. I mean, she praised God because a girl like her should not have had all that. But then the craziest thing happened. God began to pursue her heart. And she had become... Uh, started attending our student ministry and had friends who loved God and they were praying for her and God was showing up and knocking on her door. The challenge was to say yes to God meant he had to write the story. And that one she had spent so much time writing was going to have to be laid down and the pen was going to be handed to God. And I had no clue what to say to her. But at the end of our conversations, I would just bring the conversation back to this simple idea. And I'd go, Deja, who can build a better life for you? You or Jesus? I'll tell you something in single life. That's the same exact question you have to answer. And that is the tip of the spear and the single thing you have to wrestle down because everything else comes after it. The question is, who can make a better life for you? Is it you or is it Jesus? Is that an easy solution or an easy question to step into? Absolutely not. Is Jesus faithful? Oh my goodness, like you wouldn't believe. So what do you do? You take this season of life and you develop a vision for who God's made you. You offer it to God saying, I want to be used by you. You learn the torch that you've been handed. You carry it into your future. And all the while, you lay hold of this opportunity you've been given to show Jesus just how much you trust him. Let's pray. God and Father, would you do what only you can do? And we do pray for the young single people or um, anybody in that life stage that has been brought up today, man, that you would just strengthen them. God, for um, people who are just wrestling with this in real time, saying, I'm not sure who I want to be in control. I pray that you would just bless them, that you would reveal yourself. Holy Spirit, take this word. It's yours. Continue to work it into our hearts and souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, you guys, seriously, you would make this series so much better if you would take a second before you leave and write something on this. There's a box with this picture on it uh, over there where you can drop them. If you're new or visiting and you take your connection card out to our info center outside, we've got a gift for you and some people would love to just meet you and hear you. Um, love you guys. Part five next week. Have a great week. Peace. See you. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, and download the Momentum app from your app store. See you next week.